Welcome back to another post-football edition of At The Buzzer, your Ralphie Report podcast for all of your Colorado Buffalo sports news and needs. This is your co-host, Jack Barsh. Again, over there is your other more famous, better-looking co-host, Sam Mativier. More European than ever. How are you, Sam? Uh, doing well. Yeah, about to go home. So I'll be in Boulder tomorrow. Well, we're recording this Thursday or Wednesday night, but I'll be home soon. <laughs> You're going back to Boulder from Europe. What a good mix of places. <laughs> I'm not complaining, especially in like Bavaria where we are. We have like a gorgeous view of the Alps. Okay. Now I'm done. I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> um, what I do want to talk about is the, um, I guess, the 2019 Colorado Buffaloes football team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, this week this week we had news that Lavisca Chenault was already leaving. Everybody knew that. Mm-hmm. Last year we all knew that. And then following him in somewhat surprising news is Katie Nixon, who he came from DeSoto High School with LaVisca, mm-hmm. and they're best friends. They're leaving together now. Um, yep, and that means that the top three wide receivers for CU are all departing, um, the third being Tony Brown, who's just graduating on time, uh, which is obviously also a monumental achievement. Um, yeah, LaVisca was expected to leave. I don't think anyone was penciling him for the 2020 roster. Uh, like you said, Katie was a little more surprising, but the more I thought about it, the more it made sense to me. Um, I don't know. Let me know how you feel, but I think what he was looking at is a brand new wide receiver or a brand new quarterback that he doesn't he doesn't know the quality of. Um, he's looking at a bunch of young receivers who are going to be around him. He's looking at a more run heavy offense, um, and he's seeing a lot of uncertainty. And honestly, maybe a lot of uncertainty with how many snaps he's going to play. So. Um, I feel like he just said, I played a lot of snaps here. I started for three, two years, just about three years. Um, that's enough. I have enough on tape where I feel like this is the best, the highest I'm going to be, um, valued. Yeah. I think there were rumors even last year that he was going to leave after this year, leaving with LaVisca. And immediately then I, I mean, I don't know if KD is going to get drafted. I really don't think he will. I hope he does. But I think he's like honestly the third best pro prospect in this receiving core because I think Tony Brown is a better all-around receiver. But I mean, yeah, Tony. Well, the, but the interesting thing is, like you said, Tony Brown's a better all-around receiver. But there are a lot of guys like him in the NFL. Um, Katie Nixon, I, I think, has very obvious flaws, but he also has very obvious strengths, which could help him more. I think though, with like when you have those like five foot seven jitterbugs, uh, they are more rare. But not that many teams like use them, and I think like you can find someone who's truly special to play that position, like Lynn Bowden at Kentucky. Like he's going to get one of those spots as like the Antoine Randall L type receiver. Uh, and I think like like the Taylor Gabriels, the uh, Tariq Cohens. I know they're on the same team, but those guys are. You have to be a little more special to stand out, I guess. Yeah. Well, you have to be. I mean, Darren Sproles is a complete freak athletically, super strong, and he still wasn't a full-time starter except for that one last year at the Chargers. Um, I don't think that Katie Nixon is at Darren Sproles' level. I think Katie Nixon would think that too. So anyways, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, he's younger now, which makes him a little more valuable because it gives NFL team more development time. Um, he's polished, he's strong, he's super fast. And, you know, I, the other thing is how nice is it that, that we can sit here and say we're losing three wide receivers too early and I'm not worried about the production next year from the wide receiving group. Yeah, I I was hoping that the receiving, like the passing game would be better this past year because of how much talent there was. Like there was, again, like LaVisca, first rounder. Tony Brown should have been on the All-Pac-12 team. Uh, he slowed down a little bit at the end of the year. We can talk about why. And then KD. And, and then there's a bunch of depth after them. But I like with how well-rounded this receiving core was this has actually been a thing for the past three seasons is that the receivers are so deep but the passing game just isn't very productive hmm. well 
you know, part of that is uh, the, the passing game, like you said, I don't know. It frustrated a lot of people. I think everyone is expecting a little more fireworks from this offense. Um, the way that Tucker and Jerry Johnson built this offense, number one, is, is to be solid and consistent, not explosive. And number two, I believe this was uh, the Freeballin talked about this Freeballin podcast, which is Tyler Ziskin, another big CU fan um, with a great podcast. But Steven Montez was starting for three years. And in those three years, he had three different offensive coordinators. And those three years, I think that the highest the offense was ranked was in the 70s. Um, so as much as I, I don't necessarily think Steven Montez was to blame, the only consistent there is him. And the other only consistency is is a below average offense. So it's it's hard to look at the body of work and not come away disappointed with what Steven Montez could have been, which is part of what I was looking at this year. Okay, so you're I think it's partly scheme, like like the the schemes we've seen the past few years. Uh I mean, Shiverini with his offense when he was the offense coordinator last year, they were getting a lot of screen passes, but they didn't have any run game. And then this year they had a run game, but they also didn't really get the receivers going out in space. So I just wish that there would have been a little bit more balanced to like get those easy throws to these players who can make plays in space. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, Lindgren also did that, though, in, in 2017. Um, and it did not work out. <laughs> Well, it didn't work that season, I think. I, I think it did actually work a bit. It's just that those receivers that were in those situations repeatedly weren't playing well. I remember issues with Shea Fields not getting the targets he wanted. Mm-hmm. Bryce, Bryce Bobo, Bobo dropped a bunch of passes. Devin Ross, uh, I think <laughs> he was just really inconsistent. Yeah. I, regardless, you know, we've – and there's – the lack of consistency on offense, I think, has also contrib- contributed to some of Steven Montez's downfalls. Um, you know, he had to learn three schemes in three years, which is not easy for anyone. And he had three different coaches in three years, which is makes it even harder. Like position I will coaches. Ask, though, I will ask, though, like, why didn't he get better throughout the season? Every single year, he's gotten worse as the season progresses. Um, I think for the most part, you're right. Um, I think... Honestly, his, his performance against Washington this year is one of the best games he's ever played. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I think he declines. Part of that might have been nicks and bruises. I cannot blame his 2017 decline on him because he was getting hit 15 times a game at least, you know? Yeah, I think that was his, <laughs> for 11 that was his best weeks. season. Um, and that's just going to like that's gonna hurt your – Confidence is going to hurt you, you know, what, how you feel about your team. But I, I don't know. I think for for a long time, I think CU fans can can discuss the Steven Montes conundrum because the tools were always there. I I never felt like he was mentally. He might have been some unfocused, but so was every college kid. I never felt like he was, you know, off the rails like Johnny Football or anything. You know, I thought he worked hard. He transformed his body i never thought he was out of shape there's just something that wasn't there that we'd want that was supposed to be there for a 23 year old quarterback yeah i don't know how much of that was like his vision on the field because it was always obvious when he would struggle that he just wouldn't see open receivers um i think some of it is also like the deer in the headlights thing when there would be pressure he would tend to panic and scramble but uh again that's not you can work with that, I think, offensively. No, you can't. I don't know what I'm saying. I, you absolutely can work off. You know, you can work with, like, college quarterbacks aren't finished products. They aren't, you know. And as much as we lambast Montez, I still think he was probably an average to above average college quarterback for his career, which you can win with that depending on the town around him. Around the quarterback now. For- yeah, I had a I had a joke earlier this season on Twitter, like saying like that we've had like really good quarterbacks like Sefa Lufau to <laughs> Steven Montez. Like we didn't get stuck with a. I said Chase Garbers in the tweet, but he's actually been really good for Cal. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I mean, we, we weren't stuck yeah. with a mediocre quarterback. He was like a very talented player who 
part of the frustration was that he was so talented. Yeah, it, well, that's exactly but, right. You know, and this is a this is a fan base that watched Jordan Gerke start multiple games. You know, Jaleel Awini started. Or Jaleel Awini, Nick Hirschman played a game. Jordan Webb was a full year starter. Connor Wood started for half a like these. This is a wasteland of college quarterbacks. Sefo provided stability um, and leadership, and I guess Stephen Montez provided stability, some leadership, but. Houston. In everyone's mind, he was way talented enough to build off of that foundation that was set, and I don't think we ever saw that. No, I don't think we did either. But okay, so I guess moving on, we what will our perception of Montez be? Very promising but erratic quarterback who won us some games, probably lost us a few. Well, yeah, what was that? There was a tweet. There was a tweet this year. There's a Brian Howell, I think, put it out where uh, Stephen Montez led the Pac-12 in in game-winning drives um, for his career. I think he had the most game-winning drives in the Pac-12. Which, if you ask me, who who held that record? Stephen was not in my top five or ten. <laughs> I would not have expected that. Um, I knew I know about the two against Nebraska, but I don't know. That was that was that would basically be my whole list. But I I feel like he was more of a gamer than I expected him to be, partially because, like you said, he also had just back breaking plays over and over and over again. I think when we look back on his career, he he owned so many records, but you know, so did Cody Hawkins, and. I don't know if we talk about Cody Hawkins that much if he wasn't the son of Dan Hawkins. You know, if we just had a tiny white guy quarterback who was throwing it around the yard a lot and lost a lot of games, I think – I don't know if we'd mention him that much. I think that's that's where Montez is, might end up. I don't, I don't know if we talk about enough, like, these players in general from that era. Like, we don't really talk enough about Tyler Hansen, but – God, this great. is pro- probably not the time for that conversation. Although, shout out to Speedy Stewart, Scotty McKnight. <laughs> I, I when I was in when I was I in know, middle what, school, I think. Go ahead. What, when you look back at Stephen, because uh, Stephen Montez was also I both of our for most of our college career was the starting quarter, or I guess for the last part of my college career, for half of your college career was the starting quarterback. That was your senior year quarterback like what how do you look back on him um i mean i don't have a connection in that way because i didn't go to the games because i was in the fucking press box every time being <laughs> silence and eating bad food uh, <laughs> i don't know i i kind of had a sense of humor about it i when he would make those backbreaking plays, they were mostly predictable. Like you could mostly tell when those would happen. Uh, I remember I was sitting next to someone on press row and I was like, watch, this is going to be a pick six. And then he threw a pick six to USC right before the half. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just laughing because like, like, what are you going to do? But at the same time, like, like that pass to Tony Brown against Nebraska, the same pass to love this guy. I went crazy for that. And I think I'll, yeah. I think I'll kind of remember him more so as like an emotional roller coaster type player. I mean, when he when he was on his heaters, when he was on, you know, when he knew he was throwing well, it was it was hard. There was, was not ten better quarterbacks in the country. That Arizona State game this year also was amazing. You know, he was that's that's Stephen Mott. He was calm. He scram when he scrambled. He kept his eyes downfield. Threw some absolute dimes to Tony Brown. Found Katie Nixon when he had to. I, you know, threw that back shoulder throw to Tony Brown where um, it was just a complete laser into his, basically into his bread basket on the opposite side of the defender, you know, on from, from the other hash. So he's also throwing it far, you know, depth-wise as well as width. That is an, that's an unbelievable throw. And I, I still remember that because it's just like, I have not seen a CU quarterback been able to make that throw in my life. No, um, but like th- this is always the thing with Montez though. Like, like he makes the throws that you cannot believe and he 
with his running ability too when he ran it like that Oregon game famously. There's just that's an unstoppable quarterback when he's on, but it, that's why it's so frustrating. But um, yeah, to, to I guess put a bow on it, he makes the throws that you cannot believe, but then he turns around and he makes the throws you just cannot believe that he made that throw. He makes those amazing, holy crap, how do you do that? And then he makes those throws that are just like, holy shit, why did he do that? <laughs> why did the he throw the ball? Down. Yeah, exactly. He stares down the slant, doesn't even see the linebacker waiting there. Yeah. yeah, or even past um, that, just like, you know, at the end of the half against Oregon this year, going out of bounds, just chuck it up, and right into the, or- you know, interception, Oregon, they go down and kick a field goal. Tide turns, you're like, why did you throw that ball? Man, just a lot. He was a lot. All right, so uh, so the backups this year were uh, mostly – well, Sam Neuer was the backup, then got moved to safety, partly because he wasn't very good, and also they needed safeties. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there was uh, Tyler Lytle and then Blake Stenstrom. Now incoming in this recruiting class is Brendan Lewis. Do you see any of them as, like, the – the near future starters or the future quarterbacks? Um, do I see them? Yeah. I, I think one of them is going to be the starter um, next year. Really? Do I wish there was a grad transfer coming in? Yeah, I, I think I do. I Well, what the problem that CU is running into is their, their class is filling up and, and more than just the 85 roster scholarship limit. The, the the limit they're bumping up against is the 25. You can only bring in 25 new scholarship athletes during a recruiting class. Um, and with the players are counting back already and the two transfers in Antonio Alfano and Nigel Bethel, they're at, I think, 27. Um, so they have to count a few more to a different class right now, do some fancy math. It's going to get even harder to do that if they need to bring in another quarterback. Um, now what they can do is wait until after spring football is finished um, and then bring in a grad transfer for the summer. But how, how much are you going to trust a, a quarterback that has two, two months to learn the scheme to start on September? Uh, well, considering that uh, I don't know when the, the Heisman finalist trifecta, they all transferred. I don't mm-hmm. know when in the year they transferred, like Justin Fields and – uh, Jalen Hurts, but we've seen we've seen quicker turnarounds. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, and depending on the the the, the quarterbacks that transfer out during spring football, it's possible that CU also gets like an immediate starter that will be a, an obvious upgrade. Um, you know, some people always get pushed out. Anthony Brown from Boston College is currently in the transfer portal. I think he'd be a wonder. He'd be a fantastic fit for this offense. But how do you feel about Dylan Curling Sterling Cole from Arizona State? Um, I just don't know how much we know about what he can do. I don't know how how many live throws he's taken in a game. He was a great recruit. Um, apparently a great teammate. He graduated early. Uh, and by all accounts, he's he's an athletic dual threat, which is kind of what this offense needs. But I'm also at the point, Sam, where looking at 2020, um, knowing that Mel Tucker has a few years to grow and seeing the schedule laid out in front of us, which is, I don't know, it's a doozy. I would also be more than That's happy to, to, to let Brandon Lewis take his lumps and grow this year. So that way okay, we and looking at – go ahead. Where is Brandon Lewis from again? Can you tell our listeners? Brendan Lewis is the uh, he's an incoming freshman quarterback from uh, Melissa, Texas, which is outside of Dallas. And um, he committed relatively early to CU. I think he's signing next Wednesday. We'll have a bunch of stuff about that. Um, and he's an early enrollee as well, which, meaning, which means he's going to be on campus for the spring semester and for spring football, um, which is huge for learning the offense. I don't know. Brendan Lewis is exactly what I'm looking for in a college quarterback. And, yeah, same. But he – so he, after CU – after he committed to CU, he had a fantastic season, right? Mm-hmm. He was he <laughs> was the 6A, I believe, Texas Player of the Year, um, or at least tech, or Dallas Player of the Year, which if, you know, Texas high school football is 
the best high school football you can find. Um, he led his team again to, I think, the semifinals of the 6A playoffs. But he, regardless, um, he was exactly – there wasn't any downturn after he committed, right? You always kind of worry about that um, with quarterbacks and other early developing prospects, prospects that are scouted early, is when you commit – when they commit relatively early, you hope they keep growing um, as as they age or else um, you're worried that they you know, age quicker than their peers and that's why they stood out so much. Um, and then that the peers have caught up. They kind of slowed down. Did not happen with Brendan Lewis. He just kept balling out. Um, I believe – the last game he played, he had, I want to guess, I think five five touchdowns in over 300 yards. But I need to I need to fact check that. Anyways, so, so he's ahead. dual threat. He's dual threat. What what what's his playing style like? Does he have great field vision? Does he have good patience? Yeah, and we'll Is talk about this playmaker? more um, when the signing day stuff comes up. But he is. I I always am worried about labeling quarterbacks dual threat. Um, just because I feel like that also that that is kind of a cop out for saying he can run, so that way we're just going to say that he can't throw. Um, he's a thrower first. Brendan Lewis is he will throw the ball first, so he's a polished passer. Um, the nice thing about him actually being a dual threat um, is he can run too. So he's he's a scrambler. He's not going to be a Cephalufau fullback <laughs> or even a Stephen Montez fullback at times. Um, he, I don't think he can take those hits as easily, but he'll get to the edge. He has some nice speed, um, and he stays. He keeps the play alive more than, um, you know, looks to run first. So if you look at does two, he four, keep seven, the play alive with like? Sorry, does he does he keep the play alive with his eyes up or? Yes, yeah, he does, like he, running yeah. around like Montez. No, well, losing yards. Like I said, well, it depends on which Montez, you know. Some Montez, <laughs> okay. sometimes Montez? Montez would throw the ball downfield after he, after he scrambles. Sometimes he's just looking to salvage a play. Um, in in high school, at least, Brendan Lewis did a good job of getting out of the pocket and keep and, and throwing it, chucking it deep. Um, and I, I really like his – to me, his release, just, he, he makes it look effortlessly, effortless to just throw the ball. I don't know how much speed he's putting on this – passes they're, they're more lofts but i like watching those more anyways um if you look at his 247 profile uh sam we were just talking about this their comparison for brendan lewis is bryce perkins um which as some listeners may know i guess that's sam and i's college quarterback crush is bryce perkins i love him he's over at virginia um and he is exactly what i look for in a quarterback Okay, so, so looking you would at twenty twenty. Okay, yes. You would be okay with the true freshman quarterback? Would I be I'd be okay with letting him learn on the job, I guess, while while the while the team grows into Mel Tucker's image. Um, do I think that gives CU the best immediate chance to win? Maybe over Lytle and Stenstrom, maybe, just because we haven't seen much from either of them, but I will over, give my opinion. I'll give my opinion and say that I don't think either of them are good. Okay. I, it's hard. I mean, we haven't seen – I mean, the concerning thing is neither of them have made a, a serious play on the job in their two and three years on campus. So it's now or never for them. Um, and if Brendan Lewis comes in and he's either even or head or shoulders above, then I think you have to play the guy who will be here longer. For me, right? it looks like – my perception of Lewis, which is watching his two-minute clip on Huddle, is that he's going to be one of those like just sneaky playmakers who just makes plays happen the second he steps on the field. And he's going to be like, mm, I don't know how to describe this. Do you know what I mean? Like the like the instant starters you don't expect, and then they're just good because they're like they have, there's like a charisma to their play. You mean the Jaden Daniels from Arizona no, State this I, year? I mean. Not necessarily, but the Keaton Slovis <laughs> from no, USC this year. He Slovis was a third string injury replacement. Hmm, I'm trying to think about. I mean, more like like Russell Wilson when he went to the Seahawks and was a starter as a third round rookie. Yeah, I think we're both putting probably way too much. I know, um, I know. I'm expectations just putting, or I didn't hope. In I didn't the mean Lewis. to convey. I didn't mean to. 
bring up that name. To compare, I kind of see what you're saying. I mean, regardless, okay. and we'll talk more about the 2019 team. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to loop it back to that. But regardless, yeah, I think it's going to be a run-heavy offense last year, partially because of how well the team did running the ball as an attitude, at least, this year. I was, I was so thoroughly impressed with the offensive line in 2019. And who's coming back? Uh, just about everybody. Well, so, Arlington Ham- Hambright is leaving. Uh, uh, honorable mention, Pac-12, left tackle. He's a grad yeah, transfer from Oklahoma State. Um, and the greatest compliment I can give him is I don't think either of us mentioned him once. <laughs> because I did. I did. I he, had a, I, he, he had a false start on a fourth and one. That's right. That's right. I mean, he was, that. he was mostly lockstep, though. There was not a lot of, of blown um, offensive line coverages. There wasn't a lot of holding penalties. I felt like he was completely solid, which is exactly what we wanted from the grad transfer. Um, same with Tim Lanot. Once again, how many bad snaps did we see this year? You know, he, he was pushing guys around in the middle, um, and I think he was – Tim Lanot was Mike McIntyre's first real recruiting win against other Pac-12 teams, um, which is how I remember him at least. In 2015, he was a, he beat out the he rest of the freshman, Pac-12 South um, for Tim Lenoff's recruitment. He was a freshman All-American. Uh, Battle right back from injury. Um, moved positions a few times from left guard, right guard, center. Settled at center. Um, I don't know. He was. I thought he was really solid. And in, in, in the whole, I mean, what more can we say about Chris Kapilovich? The offensive line went from the biggest question mark to I think. Probably next year, the biggest strength on the offensive side of the ball. Maybe maybe wide receiver, but there's talent there, and now I'm pretty confident in, in the coaching and the chemistry that's also there. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. It'll be nice to actually go forward knowing that the line won't be a leaking boat. But well, and, and Alex Fondo also came out of nowhere to get hard yards consistently in twenty in 2019. And that <clears throat> was another huge surprise. I am in love with Alex Fontenot. Yeah, he's – I really like his running style, of just being patient and kind of bouncing off, kind of taking half hits, so to speak. He's – I mean, he's like a pretty – one pretty one cut back in that he'll wait for the hole and then he'll just hit that, and that's what he does. But there are not a lot of – backs I saw that at least in the Pac-12 they were better at waiting for that hole and no matter how small it was he always found his way through it to get extra yards and then he has those little moves where like the linebacker is right there waiting and then he does you know a half step or a little shake with the shoulder just to just to get him off balance enough to even if he gets tackled fall forward those three yards instead of getting stonewalled you know or doing those little extra things that keep the drives alive, to keep to get you to second and six instead of second and eight. You know, he was so good at just getting those hidden yards. Yeah, no, that's a good way to look at that because, like, I mean, that's really valuable. You have the home run threats. You have like like Trayvon McMillan was like more of a home run threat than he was like a a high success rate type of back, and it's really nice to just have like a Fontenot type who can just get those steady yards. Maybe he won't bust out the long gains, but that's fine. Just keep chugging along. Keeps the clock moving, keeps the linemen moving forward, keeps your quarterback like not facing a pass rush on second and 11. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's just such a nice luxury to have that and then also have an exciting true freshman like Jaron Mangum in the backfield. Um who plus was, the other guys. Yeah. Plus uh red shirt. I guess, I don't even know if he redshirted, but Josiah Davis, another freshman who's going to play next year. Deion Smith. Those are all exciting names um, that bring different things. Plus depending on uh, this recruiting class, I guess we'll see, we'll see what happens Wednesday, but there are some other bodies that running back expect to play right away next year. Um, I don't know. I was just, I was really, shocked I guess to see that that was the strength of the offense partially because of how disappointing the pass offense was but partially just because why would you give the ball to anyone else but Fondo if he's giving you four yards of carry consistently and chewing that clock um I I was really I really liked what I saw there 
And we saw, we saw that against, like, Washington, what that offense looks like. And that's your personal dream. You want to recreate yes. the Gary Barnett oh. offense mm. of just getting those, like, horse-type running backs who just run hard and power through people, mm-hmm. get them behind a mean offensive line, and just keep going, keep going, and smash. Like, just keep punching the defense in the mouth. <laughs> okay. Yes. You, you mentioned Gary Barnett. You mentioned that. Now you got me very excited. Just, just picture <laughs> for a second. To me, like obviously, altitude is a huge factor, right? We see that in basketball all the time. We we CU always is better in the second half than the first because players start getting exhausted and they can we can start trying to run dudes out of the gym. In CU football, football is a little different because of how many stoppages there are. But to me, what's more tiring than even a hurry up, no huddle offense where the defense is constantly running is if CU is just leaning on teams for sixty minutes, right? If this offensive line, which is was physically dominant at times this year. And we'll, when we get to our favorite games, least favorite moments, favorite moments, least favorite moments, I'll talk about this more. But there were stretches where this offensive line was imposing their will legitimately, moving people out of the way legitimately, like letting this offense do whatever they need to do, which is huge. To me, if you could do that for 30 minutes, 35 minutes, time of possession on offense, that's when teams start sucking wind, is in the fourth quarter when they've been beat up by five burly men for 35 minutes, and this running back right behind them is six foot, six two, 220, hard to bring down every time, makes you work to bring him down every time. By that point, you're a linebacker. You're sick of getting hit. You're sick of working extra hard to bring these dudes down, and the altitude means you can't breathe as much. You are just done. And that's, where, that's what I am very excited to see is when we have – the bodies we can rotate where Alex Fondo keeps burning and turning and turning, right? And Jaron Mangum keeps turning and turning. And then we can bring one or two of them in as a sledgehammer for the fourth quarter and just say, you've had a hard time for the last 45 minutes. Now try this guy. And you just go. And you just suck the life out of the opposing team. And that's – God, we saw flashes of that this year. That's complimentary football. That, that helps the defense. That helps special teams. And we – and I – I think that is part of Mel Tucker's vision that we saw this year. And only in flashes. They were, during that you know, five-game stretch where, where CU was hurt and beat up and they couldn't do anything on offensive defense, um, I think we reverted back to a little more of a timid offense. Um, but there are times where I got so excited because I saw Brady Russell motion across the line and I saw him punch the defensive end in the mouth and then move to the linebacker and then, you know, Steven Montez hangs the ball off the Fontenot. There's two holes for him to choose. <clears throat> he runs through a guy. He falls forward for six yards. Um, and I guess that may be boring. I don't know. I don't see how that is boring because it's just that – to me, that's football. That's CU football choosing what to do. They, they told the other team what they're going to do, and then they did it. And that's impossible to stop if you can do it right. And, I mean, I know college football changed a lot, so you can say it's a lot about most teams. But CU football – until I don't know the Hawkins era was Smash Mouth style, like they had the 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 option offenses in the nineties or the eighties and nineties, yeah, the wishbone, and then they moved into the the single back formations, uh, but it was always just moving downhill mm-hmm. and just controlling the clock and just running through people, and that's such, I that's just great. Aesthetic football, in my opinion. I've come around. Uh, I just I get bored with like the pace and space style because everybody runs it. I do love a good spread option. That's my absolute favorite. Like the Oregon spread options. Oof. Dennis yeah. Dixon. I mean, I, I think, yeah, let's look at Oregon, Chip Kelly. Let's look now. The most, obviously, like the, the best machine offense in the country is Oklahoma where that you can pretty much put me or you back there at quarterback and we'd throw for 3,000 yards. And number one, they have the athletes and they have one of the best offensive lines in the country. But number two, Lincoln Riley does such a good job of not falling in love with those quick passes and those out routes. They obviously do that. Um, but what makes Oklahoma so lethal is they have three horses back there, you know, Trey Sermon, Kennedy Brooks this year, um, Rodney Anderson. You know, they, they keep just churning out these running backs that hit the hole – which is already wide open. They go four yards without getting hit, and then they get tackled for seven. And if you can get that consistently, that opens you up for those down-the-field shots that they can nail because everyone started creeping up to the line. I think that's 
you know, that's the most successful offense right now. And they are still, they are a run heavy offense. So even if you're going no huddle, even if you are spreading it out, being able to impose your will is, is vital. Um, I think we saw flashes of that from CU this year. Made me excited. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Do you want to move on to mm, receivers? Do you want to say who you think will start? Oh, next year? Yeah. Well, number one, I, just, I mean, thank you, Tony Brown, for seeing, being so unbelievably consistent. Um, I don't know how, why I guess he didn't see the field more until this year. He was behind some great dudes, obviously, but he was just the, the, the perfect possession receiver for college. Um, and he, I think we'll miss him a lot last year, next year. Obviously, we can, we'll dedicate the last part of this, ep- the, this episode to just LaVisca and everything that is him. Um, but we saw some flashes from people that will be back next year that I was already excited. Um, but I, I saw more from Dimitri Stanley than I thought I would. And I thought he was – I don't know. I thought he was a really – good option on third down if you are that early in your career if you are a third down reliable option early in your career you will see the field a lot and i think he will next year i think he might I'm be really excited one. i think i'm most excited for dimitri stanley um honestly more so than anything else on the offense i'm excited to see brendan lewis that run game and dimitri stanley hmm. um i just I like i just like stanley i, I, I just I, like yeah. the way he plays yeah, he's like the I, type of receiver i like which is what how does he play? Mm, Vaughn. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know my guy's Maurice Bell. I love Maurice Bell. I'm excited to watch him. see. I think he's going to see the field a lot more next year. Um, Daniel Arias, I think, once again, showed out near the end of the year. Um, and he has all the physical tools. Just needs to put it more together, I think. And, you know, minutes are opening up, snaps are opening up, so I think we'll see him. There's just a bevy of options there. Um, and with CU moving from more of a four wide receiver set like they were in 2018 to either two or three like they were last year, or 2019, um, CU is going to have to those, – those minutes are becoming more and more scarce. I guess. So I think Stanley's going to take a, most of them. I'm excited to see Jalen Jackson as well, who also flashed. Um, he is so unbelievably fast. And how, I mean, <laughs> probably the best special teams tackle of the year, right? Against Utah. I did not want to fumble. Game. He forced a fumble. Mm-hmm. Um, just popped him. He's, he is stronger than he looks. Uh, I think Stan, Stanley's a great security blanket who also has burner speed that we have yet to see. Um, and I'm excited to see him try to turn some of those loose. Uh, I just, I just love the different collection of talent we have because it's not, it's not like everyone. There's no one receiver mold that CU has right now, and I also love looking at that. All right, that's exciting. Yeah, uh, even if it's next year, it's a little bit of a transition year as those guys are growing into their shoes. But mm-hmm. uh, was that even the right simile or metaphor? Well, and say? and let's not forget. I believe what fourth fourth leading receiver this year was Brady Russell, fifth leading receiver. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I got you. Um, okay, so moving on to defense, we've talked about the defensive line extensively. They're gonna have uh, Mustafa Johnson might come back, probably. I don't know. Might come uh, back, probably is about right. Jalen Sami is gonna be nose tackle. He was fantastic this year. Really good surprise. Terrence mm-hmm. Lang is on the other end. And then Antonio Alfano is probably going to get an immediate, uh, like a waiver to play immediately because of like hardships at Alabama. And he's the four or five star recruit who he might displace Lang as the starter. That's crazy that Lang can come off the bench. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because Lang was, this year he really grew into it. I thought he was an upper level Pac 12 starter by the end of the year. Um, he, he went from being, from being I guess, uh, a obstacle to being disruptive, right? He went from making sure the offense didn't have it easy to making sure the offense didn't get it at all, which is a huge jump. Uh, I don't know. I was already excited about the 2020 defense, but the end of the year when, when Tyson Summers decided to just say effort and playing engage eight on third down, right? Just, just rush as many as possible on third down. That defense got me even more excited. Um, and it really turned it around near the end. 
Um, I don't know. What did you think of the defense as a whole in 2019? Uh, well, again, like I've been uh, not in the country, so I, it's been <laughs> hard for me to it's been hard for me to watch the past few games. Uh, so I've only had to see like highlights or condensed clips of it, so I don't see every play. But uh, I saw most of the early season when the passing, like the pass defense, was just absolutely eviscerated every game. And so that's kind of the taste in my mouth still, but I saw flashes as the season progressed and I, uh, that they have a lot of potential as like the, with the guys who just fly around to make plays. Like I really love seeing Mark Perry blitz and I love yeah, seeing great. Davion Taylor actually get schemed to do what he does well. But that, I think bad. here, this is okay. This is going to be the ultimate hot take, the ultimate hot take. I think Davion Taylor, out of every departure this year, everyone, will be the hardest player to replace on CU, including LaVisca. Near the end of the year, Taylor was a top, I don't know, I would consider him one of the best safeties, I don't, I don't even know what you'd call him, playmakers, right, near the end of the year. He was flying around, he... I guess finally figured out where he wanted to be or where he had to be on this defense. So he stopped thinking, um, and that made him terrifying. How many times did we see a guy in the flat have no one around him, and then by the time the ball arrives, Davion Taylor arrives with it? You know, like That's he, his track star speed. He is a predator. He turned into a predator. And that I, – I don't know if – I don't think there's anyone. In fact, I know there's not anyone that can replace that next year for CU. Um, Mark Perry is a weapon. I don't think he's the same, uh, qual or I guess caliber weapon to keep the, the weapon metaphor going. Um, and I also think they're going to keep Mark Perry closer to the line because they figured out that, um, he is probably one of the best pass rushers on this team. So when you can get a defensive back to be that good of a pass rusher, that, that's actually one of my favorite things. Also, like I was looking at Jamal Adams staff and he had like, he has like 6.5 sacks on the season as a safety for the Jets, ugh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Love those blitzers. And Perry is also, I mean, he, he got better at coverage as the season went on too. So he, he has plenty of potential. I just think Davion Taylor is, it's too bad that he only had two years in, in power five calls football. You know, that's, it's that's too bad. I, yeah. It's too bad. He didn't learn how to play football until he was like 18. Right. It's, because everything is there ex except for the learning curve. It just took him, you know, what would that be? 18 out of the 24 games to figure out where he should be. And then when he did, he was just unbelievable. Um, so I, I think he's going to be the hard, one of the hardest players to replace on this team. Um, Mikhail Onu also was super solid as a grad transfer, a great leader. Um, and the safety depth next year is – I don't know, frightening, I guess, uh, is, concerning. Is Nigel Bethel going to play next year? Yes, but I don't know. Well, I guess I don't know what the rules are. I think so. When did he transfer? He, I think he falls under that. I think he transferred during the first three games of the year, which means okay. he can play after the – I don't know. I need to look up that rule. Um, but regardless, we don't know what we're going to get out of him yet. So we don't know – there's a lot of potential uh, in the back end, but there's not a lot of um, go-tos. Darian Rakestraw was also a pleasant surprise for me. I thought he really – I don't know. He became a lot more solid, especially in run support. I was not expecting a lot of the, the run support he was going to give. Um, but he played in the box pretty well, and he was definitely the best cover safety on the roster this year. Um, I don't know. This whole defense – really turned it around when, when they started playing aggressive, when Tyson Summer really let him have it, I guess. He, I was impressed with the, the, the scheming that they, they turned on after, I guess, what would that be? The bye before the Washington game, maybe? He basically just let him rip. Um, and the, the development of Lang, along with Mustafa coming back from injury, meant that the pressure was consistent and there, which is, we haven't seen in Boulder in a long time outside of the one-man show that was Jimmy Gilbert. Oh, uh, I love Jimmy Gilbert. I was going to mention him if you didn't. Yeah. I miss him and that's every what day. You, you were saying this before the season, that uh, 
Mel Tucker than Tyson Summers, their scheme is kind of worthless if you don't have a pass rush because you can just pick apart that zone. Yep. Um, I mean, yeah. And they, they so needed I mean, that. This is why it's so important that they're just hammering the defensive line with recruiting. And they're getting in some really promising edge rushers, uh, moving on to the linebackers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Nate Landman might be back next year. Probably, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Akil Jones still around? I think he is. Yes, Akil Jones is still around and probably earned his starting job next year. Yes. Uh, Alex Changum is still around. I don't think Carson so. Carson Wells. Alex Changum is still around. What are you talking about? He No, he was a senior this year. No, he wasn't. Okay, well. Okay, moving on to, uh, <laughs> sorry, Carson Wells. He was a Pac-12 honorable mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Oh shoot! You were right about about Chengum. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> well, I I think uh, I mean, and also Nuemotu Falo is is leaving as well after a twenty thousand year career. <laughs> I think it was at CU um, back when he was still at Pangea. He, <laughs> I don't know. He was once again. He set the edge. He was solid. Um, same with. Changum, I thought he was fine. You know, these are these are Changum. Changum didn't play until players. he was. So Changum didn't play high school in football. He went to JUCO, which is why I was deceived. He played for the first time there. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, so I, I mean, both of them are are competent players. Um, I, however, I don't think. Hopefully, by next year, with the talent infusion, especially um, from the junior college ranks that Mel Tucker is bringing, we don't miss them. If that makes sense, and in yeah. not a complete douchey way, I don't. I don't expect us to be saying, "I, I wish Faller was out there right now." Um, next year, just because the talent level is being increased a little bit, and the players that redshirted this year, plus Carson Wells learning the new defense, Jamar Montgomery learning the new defense, um, Marvin Ham redshirting, Chase Newman coming off of injury. Um, all of those Josh guys, Allen I think, are back. Josh Allen. Yeah. Um, That's also, it's Josh, not Josh. It's just spelled Josh. Yeah, it's Josh. Right, whatever. Whoops. Sorry. It's like Jashawn Sykes. God, I wish he was coming back. I love him. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, the the front seven next year. Um, presuming that Tyson, the scheme continues to develop in the way that it has and the players continue to develop in this scheme. Um, the front seven next year has a chance to be one of the top four, three in the conference maybe. Um, I just have complete faith in the, in the mixture of talent and experience coming back, assuming Lehman and Mustafa return. I don't know if that's true, but if Lehman Mustafa comes back, Akil Jones really turned it on last year. Um, and I, I was really impressed, actually. I, I thought he was going to be a guy that was processed out as Mel Tucker brings in a different type of linebacker. But he was um, Rick Kimbo alike because he was constantly – he was the guy that Lamon needed next to him to hit the blocker so Lamon could hit the ball carrier. Akil Jones was really good at, at taking up blockers and, and making sure the angles were right for Lamon, um, which is huge. And then just along the line, Terrence Lang coming back, he grew into it. Jalen Sammy – really grew into it this year. Um, he went from being a redshirt freshman on the line to being a redshirt freshman on the line that was da- disruptive at times. Um, and if he can continue that growth, having a good nose tackles in a 3-4 scheme is everything. Um, and that's where, that's where you start running into problems as an offense against this team is if they can get consistent pressure with four and if this defensive line can rotate in competent bodies, there's – it's really hard to move the ball. So it looks to me that Mel Tucker is trying to have a style of just winning in the trenches and, I mean, popping people in the mouth on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball and then just really grinding people down on both sides. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what he – I mean, you, <laughs> you listen to his pressers, he'll say at every single presser, he'll say, we played complimentary football or we're trying to play complimentary football – and that's, I think, what that is, is defense helps the offense, offense helps the defense. Um, both of them 
are he's trying to, I mean, how many times have he said that? He's trying to make them both physical, and he's trying to make both sides of the ball faster than they have been, um, which sounds good to me. And, yeah, he's been emphasizing strength and conditioning since day one, and that's something where we see that. Um, also, something with the defense, or at least with the front seven. I don't know about the defensive backfield yet. Uh, there's actually going to be depth. Mm-hmm. So we can withstand another rash of injuries. Because this year, I don't know if like fans will appreciate how rare this was, but you don't see that happen. You don't see you go down to the third string starter at multiple positions within a season. Yeah, well, it was especially bad in defensive back because of the attrition. They were already so thin. Um, and then when Chris Miller got hurt and Makai Blackman got hurt um, – you had to rely on two two true freshmen in KJ Trujillo, who really stepped it up. I was, I mean, that's a gem to find. Um, and Tariq Luckett, who was, I, I mean, for someone who's playing wide receiver until about September of this year, I thought he did just fine um, on the other side. Um, but, you know, you're playing the number four or five team in the country in Utah, and you're starting Lucas Cooper at safety, who was a walk-on until this year. That tells you what you need to know about the injuries and also the depth back there. Um, and I think next year, like you said, at least on the front seven, all, all everyone who played early this year, like Austin Williams even at nose tackle and Janaz Jordan and Naeem Rodman, um, everyone who played early this year is paying dividends in 2020 and 2021 because they have the experience now. They're getting bigger. They, they're learning the defense more. Um, and also everyone who is hurt, most of everyone who's hurt is coming back. So you're getting a, a, a double dose of depth going, moving into next year. Yeah, okay, so we've probably spent too long on the what the roster will look like next year. Do you want to do your favorite game, least favorite game thing? Yeah, I'll start with least favorite game. Um, I think, I guess because I was there, the one at UCLA. No, you know what? No. Because I was there, the one at home against Arizona was my least favorite game. Absolutely. Arizona is not good. See, so you knew they were not good. Um, and the curse of Khalil Tate hit again in Boulder. He just can't yeah. stop getting yards when he crosses that state line. And Arizona finished, what, last place in the Pac-12 South? Uh, yes. They, I this was the first time. We finished last the- place in the Pac-12. This was the shout out to Oregon State going five and seven. Hell yeah! Let's go, Beavs. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, this was the first time CU hasn't finished last or first in the Pac-12 South. So weird shout <laughs> out there. Congrats, Tucker. <laughs> um, God, the Arizona so, game. It was it was just one of those games where I don't know if CU ever had it put away, but in the first half, Steven Montez did well, and then there was the the pick near the end of the half. There was the t- touchdown that Arizona had that was called back, thankfully. But you could kind of feel it starting to slip. And then uh, Kevin Sumlin figured out that he didn't even have to try to run the ball if he just passed the ball every play. Um, so you did not have the bodies at defensive back to fight that. Um, and it was it was just demoralizing because, you know, <laughs> you're watching. I can't even get mad at KJ Trujillo because he's a true freshman. And then you're watching him get doubled up on a wide receiver screen and get blocked out of the picture. It, that's it's just a bad situation for the defense and the team. And it was something that was annoying because Arizona could not exploit matchups for the rest of the year. And then he figured it out against CU because because of how obvious it was. And that led to CU missing a bowl, which is annoying. And yeah, that was also a game CU honestly should have won. Absolutely. They- Settled for field goals in a touchdown scoring game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I mean, the red zone offense all year just killed me. And that was yeah. that was one of the worst ones. Worst games. And Arizona is not a good defense. We saw that in their other games. Um, okay, my least favorite? Hmm, probably the UCLA game because I thought going into the season that would be the one Pac-12 game we win for sure. Yep, me too. Um. And then UCLA, they actually were surprisingly good this year, I guess, considering they started out 0-3 with just a bunch of blowout losses. And then Dorian Thompson-Robinson isn't good. But uh, yeah, that, that game sucked because it looked like CU didn't show up mentally. Like, they thought they could maybe skate by. They didn't look like they had any sort of, like, game plan. They looked like they had just flown from, like, six hours away. 
they're just lethargic. And it was yeah. out of we were down I don't know how many, like at least multiple touchdowns at halftime. And it was just, it was over. It well, was over can, after the first quarter. Yeah. I can tell you uh, exactly how much it was. Because yeah, please I, do. I was, please yeah, do. I was at that game. Um, and I was, I was at that game with Ted Trofen at the Ghost of Marv, who is, I mean, he's always great at everything, I guess, being an insightful CU fan. But he, he's, he's the best at contextualizing CU. Yes, exactly. He, he mentioned. As we were leaving the Rose Bowl, he mentioned saying he mentioned to me that CU actually was even 14-14 with UCLA after the first 10 minutes, but UCLA scored 17 points in the first 10 minutes. And when you're playing from behind like that on the road, you're you're done, especially when you know you're about even or worse talent-wise. So if CU shows up early in that game, I think it goes differently. Um, it was just frustrating because. You know, it was pretty much over early, and then CU did f- mediocre to fine for the rest of the game. Um, you know, stuck with UCLA, but it didn't matter because they dug themselves in such a big hole. The uh, the Washington State game stands out too, but I'm not. I'm less disappointed about that game because I don't know why people think that we can ever beat Washington State. We will never beat Washington well, State on the road. On the road, we will yeah, never beat Washington yes. State. Especially not game, with um, Steven Montez as a quarterback because he hates sleet and I think he hates playing on the Palouse. Yeah, yeah. He, El Paso, does better in warm weather. <laughs> I don't know why he came to the Pac-12, but <laughs> he's a uh, Big 12 quarterback through and through. Can we, let's mention how much of a Big 12 quarterback Steven Montez is. Yeah, um, well, I think our, his only other officer, offer was Oklahoma State. Which, would which have, okay, that fits him so well. Mm-hmm. Are you done drinking your water bottle? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, favorite game? Uh, well, I should pick Washington, but since I didn't really watch that live, I mean, I have to pick Nebraska then. <laughs> it's a good pick. I, it live. I, saw, I saw overtime from the end zone where that was happening, like inside of the end zone. I was on the field, so that was great. I, ru- I took off my press pass and rushed the field with the students, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that before. It was probably very unprofessional of me. That's why oh, I took up my press pass. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I think for everyone, Nebraska's the pick, right? I can't pick it, though, because you did. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so I guess suck it. Maybe because it's so fresh in my head, I'll, I'll pick, like I mentioned, I said I'd talk about it more later. The Washington game, to me, is everything that Mel Tucker is trying to take this program to. Um, CU dominated Washington, which who has physically dominated CU for the past, how long have they been in the Pac-12? Nine years? Eight years? For the past eight years? Seven years? Whatever that is? And Basically, they, since CU They've always joined, dominated. They've dominated on the lines, specifically. Right. Yes, they have beat CU up. I still remember 2014, Shaq Thompson just running all over CU as much God, as he wanted. I love Shaq Thompson so I much. I know. He was great. Um... But they, they've done that. You know, they have just made CU look smaller than, which is annoying, but it makes sense because they were one of the best um, programs in the Pac-12. They're always physically solid. They'll beat you smart. And then Mel Tucker took all that, and in a down year with Washington, to be fair, but still, it's still Washington, he, they basically ran it up their throats the entire game. They controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides, which is unbelievable. The defensive line really stepped up. Jacob Eason was pressured all night. Um, and they came away with a good win against a team with a winning record. Um, for reference, depending on how Arizona State, I believe, does on their bowl game, that would give Mel Tucker wins against two teams with winning records. Um, oh, no, they're already 7-5. So he already has two teams to uh, wins with against two teams with winning records. Scott Frost has won. And that one team is Illinois. So, oh, or Michigan no. State. So, um, you know, that to me, that was a nice proof of concept of what Mel Tucker is doing. They control the lines. They ran the ball down their throats. They played, quote-unquote, complimentary football, and they were physical. And by the end of the game, you could see Washington was just tired to play CU. They did not want to keep playing against CU. And that's what you wanted to see. And I loved it. I loved that game. 
plus Stephen Montez was out there running. He was trucking dudes. He was having fun. I think that was was that senior day. Yeah, that was senior day. He played. He played as he should have going out last game at Folsom. Okay. Yeah, that sounds. What else do we got for the podcast? Um, I say as your favorite play, your favorite play this year. Uh, mm, obviously, I have to pick the KD Nixon flea flicker. Okay. Are you going to pick the the Steven Montez to Tony Brown pass against Nebraska? Yeah. No, I am picking. Um, Levis no, I meant, ruining... I meant the, oh. the the Arizona State. The Arizona State. Oh pass. no, I did like that pass though. I'm, but I, I'm. We have to mention Lavisca a little bit at least. Um, I'm picking the the time he decided to ruin that Stanford safety's life. Oh, oh my um, God! Yes. On fourth and one, we needed a yard. Lavisca gets the jet sweep as everyone knew he would, um, and he literally put that Stanford safety into the dirt and then put the hammer on him and then buried him with sand. Like that guy was done. He is done. And then he carried five more guys for five more yards. That encapsulates what makes him so special because he is technically a receiver, but nothing about that play is a receiver play. That is a, I am bigger than you. I'm more athletic than you. And I care more than you watch this. And then you just ruin him. God, that was fun. Yeah. So I am a little bit relieved that he's leaving CU because it means that he's going to be paid because mm-hmm. his physical style will tend to lead to injuries. Mm-hmm. He's, I don't want to call him injury prone, and I hate when CU fans call him injury prone because injury prone is different. He took more hits this year than almost everyone in college football. Even yeah. when he didn't have the ball, if you just watched, especially if you watched like the Nebraska game and early on, every time you blocked, every time anything happened, he was taking hits. I, it, I mean, it, yeah. no, he's not injury prone. He was just he was just taking more hits than everyone else, and that takes its toll. And okay, I saw like an NFL draft scouting thing. Just call him have average speed. And I think that's hilarious <laughs> because he's six two two twenty five and will run through you. It doesn't matter what your speed is. <laughs> he also does not have average speed. Watch no. that. Watch that play against USC this year where the the defensive back is maybe one yard off on that slant and no one touched him 80 yards Mm -hmm. or whatever that was. He has burst and he runs so powerfully and he needs to work on his route running. Absolutely. But uh, I'm just excited to see what, like, I hope he goes to one of those smart NFL teams that like knows how to get him in space. Go to the Uh, Saints. Oh, please go to the Saints. No, I'm on the Ravens. That would also be fun. Yeah. I just uh, want to see a Taysom Hill LaVisca Chanel option. No. <laughs> with I, would rather, I would rather a Lamar Jackson LaVisca Chanel option. Uh, or an RPO with Marquise Brown. Oh, man. Now we're talking. This is NFL Street right here. Yeah. No, seriously. LaVisca is a perfect NFL Street type player. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, just, I want him to go to a smart team that will use him well and will give him plays in space and also please throw it deep to him more because he's fantastic on jump balls but so you didn't really use him that way no i i mean like you said i'm just excited he's gonna get paid i think he's the most physically dominant cu player i've ever watched for sure i think he might be the most physically dominant player in the wide receiver space that cu's ever had in my opinion i mean mm-hmm. how many people played like him he he obviously he's an all-timer i think he's also he's made a case for the best receiver that cu's ever had for the twitter people who like to comment on everything if i say that lavisca chanel will go down as one of the best if not the best that is not an invitation for you to tell me i'm wrong and for you to comment on the three <laughs> receivers who are better than him i mean okay uh, <laughs> To me, what when I we, if you put him back on those teams with Cordell Stewart in 1993 and 1994, like Charles, like Michael Westbrook was on, you know, Ray Carruth and uh, Charles, Charles Johnson was earlier, but those are all athletic, physical freaks, right? And they all had decent numbers, not crazy because they didn't pass up all that much. But I think if you put Lavisca on that team, he still stands out physically, and that's when you know how special he is. I think he still would have stood out back then too. Um, I just wish he 
got to play in a bowl game or, or meaningful snaps, I guess. Or, I wish they played him as a freshman too. Don't even but don't even bring that we, up. What a mistake. No, we're not going to go down the rabbit hole. Is that are we good? I think we're good. I think I mean there's reason for optimism. I think 2019 I, bowl games should have been there. I will say that. Bowl games should have been there. We should be mm-hmm. looking at, you know, the Vegas Bowl, the Cheez-It Bowl right now. Um, God, I want the Cheez-It Bowl so badly. But Vegas predicted three and a half wins. Uh, I think both of us predicted four to five wins. And that's where we sit. Um, and it didn't happen the way we expected, where we thought it was going to be about the shootouts, that CU wins some, loses some. Uh, and instead what happened was CU just – I guess grinded out wins, which to me is more sustainable and a little more fun looking forward. Yeah, I I'm on the same boat as you. All right. Yeah, signing off. Signing off.